Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-chorus, and then a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's and what it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Watch up. And welcome back to another episode of No Silence Podcast with your host. Now, nah, fuck that with your low glasses, Malone. Whatever he felt like bothered him, right? Instead of being like, we have this thing in society where it's like, okay, well, you know, if she's a slut, you don't have to shame her or mm. blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, if you don't want to be shamed for being a slut, or if you don't want to shame for, you know, be shamed for not being poor, right? That's when you have to dedicate all energies to not being. Outside of that, you know, you just playing yourself. Like my sisters, my older sister Chantel, my older sister Joanna, they had a big problem with me being a gangbanger. You know what I mean? And I always felt like they would tell their kids to kind of deal with me in a certain way because I was a crip. You know, I, I am a crip. So you know what I mean? I thought they maybe in their minds that defined me. But if I, I never got an attitude with them feeling like that, whatever they thought of it was what it was versus me. And I never decided I was going to not be it because of what they thought. If if they could crip shame me, feel me? I have no business being a fucking crip. There is a lack of consensus on how to define a mass shooting. Most terms define a minimum of three or four victims of gun violence, not including the shooter in a short period of time. Although an Australia study from 2006 prescribes a minimum of five and an added requirement that the victims actually die as opposed to being shot, injured, but not necessarily killed. That's how defining a mass shooter. And. Straight up, Pete, that shit troubling to me, right? Because at that point, you would have to cover any military violence when they shoot up something in a town. That means you're not reporting on those. Well, those are a little bit different because unless it's a war crime, it's not really a crime. You know what I'm saying? But that's my thing. Like, it's not just a crime. Like, I think consensus as an as as a public we all agree a mass shooting usually requires innocent victims to some degree yeah like hypothetically let's say there aren't a lot of great examples of mass like police shootings usually there's only like one or two actors but like say like if the waco thing wasn't like what however they botched it burned everybody up but if it was like 20 criminals holed up into some sort of a um, like a bunker and the FBI or whatever the hell law enforcement apparatus went in and cleared them out and they all died. Like, I don't know if I would consider that a mass shooting because you could, I guess, but. That's how I feel about gang violence. When two gangs are beefing, you feel me? And. Somebody, when two gangs are at war, when two yeah. communities are at war, right, and they having their issues and they settling it, they settling it primitively as poor people and 
you know, as they do, right? Yeah. And they're literally having their issues. And, you know, this community goes over here and shoots five of those guys. I wouldn't like to consider that a mass shooting. I think there's a very pivotal adjective that could be added to that term mass shooting. Random. Like if if there's a a beef between gang A and gang B and it's a calculated hit, even if it knocks out twenty. Yeah. It's not random. Yeah, yeah. Um but I think I think when they make it this open, it they're using it, it becomes conversation of things that are not related to sway a whole another political angle. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not saying people in the community are not victims of gun violence, but all gun violence, again, is not the equivalent of mass shootings. Like, what's going on between the 60s and families is nothing like what happened in Texas, you know, a, a week or two ago. You know what I'm saying? Where that dude went to that elementary school and you know, what the 18 year old man went to that elementary school and shot elementary kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think the main reason why what we see here with the heightened focus of it is the random element. Obviously, the majority of the corporate media apparatus is left leaning and is big, big time invested on, on gun control legislation. <laughs> If you know where deliberate gun violence happens, you can avoid it. So it's not that big a deal. You just don't go there. If it's randomized, now all of a sudden you, oh, it involves any and everybody, meaning that gray area voter that would be possibly an independent type person. And you could say, okay, well, now's our opportunity. People are hysterical and whipped up in the moment to pass some massive sweeping law that on a sober mind, most people wouldn't otherwise go for. Mm. No ceilings. Glasses low. My man Peter Boss in the spot. Uh, my manager and podcaster extraordinaire, uh, Big Steel, should be joining us in a second. I agree. And, you know, as far as when we're saying that, that's why. I don't like it because it feels like it's a political ploy to connect it to this random acts of violence. Like, yeah, I've had this conversation with people that, you know, when people say senseless violence, when they're talking about communities going to war, and it's like, mm-hmm. I think that's different because you can't make sense out of it. By that same standard, yeah. we could say every war, the war between Ukraine and Russia is senseless violence. But yeah. to somebody or to two people or whatever, it may make sense. Now, don't get me wrong, because by that same standards, you could say to that little, the little weirdo kid, the, the little weirdo man in Texas, that made sense to him. Sure. I, I think a lot of that kind of centers around the, the idea that the conversation, I'll be, I'm going to use very frank language on this. Sure. The rest of the the reason why the large, you know, aggregate numbers of urban black community crime statistics get lumped into this is because the push to try to take these randomized acts, which they are largely random. It has to do with gun control. So so an, an, an opposition viewpoint to that says, oh, well, if you look at aggregate gun violence, most of it's done by guns that are already illegal. So, and, and, and then that muddies the conversation and the assessment and the whole thing. It brings people into it and, and it starts to, instead of trying to define the gun, now you're defining the crime and you're defining the motive versus you're defining the context. Everything, so everything gets very blurry. Everything will lay an accountability on the actual perpetrator. So you start talking about the instruments and everything else versus the that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know we've had a conversation about gun control. Yeah. 
Um, but I thought about this. Where would you stand, right, if there was a complete agreement, right, to some level of the masses, right? Not 100% of the votes, but they say, hey, we want there to be no more guns in America, not the police, mm-hmm. not anybody outside of military, you know, fighting off in wars. How would you feel about turning over your weapons at that point? I would laugh my ass off. I would walk outside with a hammer and I would break my car window and take a cell phone picture of my broken window and say my gun was in the car. I was going to go turn it in and someone stole it. And it would be in my apartment. What is it that you think people feel the need of their gun for? Let's say if nobody had a gun, is it because you think somebody's always going to have a gun? It's part of that. It's part principle. It's part. So it's such a number of factors. I mean, I think if you look at the United States over the last two years and you look at Australia over the last two years, you weren't allowed to go outside at night in Australia for like a year and a half. I don't think you're going to be able to really do that so much in the States, you know? And I, to be honest, the reason is we saw the cowardice of the you know, deploy law enforcement in this setting with one guy, right? Just last week. If if you had a federal man, no one in the country is allowed to go anywhere or do anything for the rest of this year and the rest of next year because of COVID. And then you sent out, you know, the dot, dot, dot county sheriffs to go enforce it against some really pissed off people with real guns in real numbers, they're not going to go over there and die for that. They'd punk out and the whole thing would unravel. So what do you think about countries like Japan where guns are pretty much impossible to, to have and the police don't carry guns? Japan's a, a unique element. Um, it is an Island. It does have a, you know, there are certain gives and takes culturally between the u.s and and between japan um i would rather live in an environment where i might be a little bit at risk than live in what shanghai is presently um where people are literally jumping out of buildings because they're starving to death they haven't been allowed to go outside shanghai's in china right shanghai's in china but i'm just saying as far as being able to provide some sort of defined second amendment pushback over tyranny you know additionally we are a partially landlocked country with landlocked borders. There are, I mean, I, I read a study that was a, a very good study. The, the, the methodology was sound, said that there was approximately 2,000 illegal guns a day that come up to the southern border. And this was during the Trump administration when the southern border was tighter. That probably means there's close to a million illegal guns that enter the United States per year. That's a lot. So, it, and that's with no demand. If the, if the, if there were if guns were really illegal illegal like that, then the demand would spike. So the desire to fill that demand and price would spike as well. You'd see more than that. It's we can't keep illegal anything out of this country. We can't keep illegal drugs out of this country. We can't keep illegal Louis Vuitton phony handbags out of this country. We can't keep illegal farm workers and janitors out of this country. I mean, like we can't keep anything out. So the idea that we're going to suddenly magically snap a finger and keep guns out is dumb and random mass shooters by and large, that ends three ways, life in prison, death in prison, or death on the scene. If those three things don't deter you, what, a year or two in jail? Oh, I'm down to get sprayed up by the cops and die here and now, but don't give me those 18 months for the gun charge said nobody ever how much crime do you think so being we're on the you know on the uh you know we're 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 the day after of all of these school shootings Mm. do you really have a solution like do you have a solution that you feel is viable i think the best viable solution is probably like for schools is you know, the security standards at schools, you know, uh, I've heard some catchphrases and I'm not big on hashtag catchphrases where it's like, we protect our banks more than we protect our schools. Well, that's actually true. I, um, a guy that I, I follow, his name is Adam Calhoun. He's a rapper, a white mm-hmm. guy, uh, 
from the south somewhere. He was so no that. relation to Cool Breeze and those Calhouns. No, 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 no. This okay. is a white guy. Super, super American, super nationalist. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. Dope though, a talented MC. I like him a lot. Um, but he had a point. He was saying like we protect our banks and everything else with men with guns, but not our schools. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think I get what he's saying. Um, I definitely don't know. You know, morally, I guess, okay, so what it is is morally, I want to feel like we should keep kids away from the concept of guns and so forth and so on. But then again, you know, if they're playing video games and certain things where guns are available, you know. If your kids go to the bank with their parents, if your kids go to the airport, if your kids go to any government building anywhere ever, they're going to see security guards with guns. It's not crazy. If the police, if, if the, if your kid sees a policeman pass by, that's a, an authorized gentleman with a gun who's supposed to be, you know, fulfilling the, or, or protecting the peace. I mean, like, like, like my mom's a vice principal at an elementary school. So she has to coordinate the whole – every year they have to train all the teachers for like – the way we, we would do used earthquake drills, remember, as kids, they have now mass shooting tutorials where the police show up and they tell the, the teachers, well, there's two things you can do for a mass shooting. You can lock the doors and push a desk against the door, or you can run out into the grass. It's like, what, are you shitting me? <laughs> And that's all that they have available for their ideas. And that's the police department showing up and telling them that. What's crazy is I was reading about mass shootings. And in America, one of the oldest mass shootings, right? Uh, Excuse me, a school shooting was Mm -hmm. November 12th, 1840 in Charlottesville, Virginia. Charlottesville's been lit for a long time. A law professor at the University of Virginia was shot by student Sim, uh, Joseph Simmons and died three days later. Wow. In the 40s, 1840, 1850, it was a school shooting in Louisville, Kentucky. In 1856, it was a school shooting at 1856 in Florence, Alabama. Okay. There was a school shooting in Baltimore, Maryland in 1858. There was a school shooting in 1860 in Tye County, Kentucky. All right. In 1864 in Ashland County, Ohio. In 1867, right here in California, a town called Knights Ferry. That must have been the only school here. They had one school and it got shot up. Man, when you just think about and and that's what worries me, right? Is I hear a lot of people talking about gun control and California and New York have the strictest laws mm. in all of the states. I'm not sure this is true, but I know they have really strict it's laws. way up there. There's the there's like states. Yeah. Right? Maryland, DC, Cook County, Illinois. Play, you know, there's some spots that are comparable, but they are very high. The irony is in the last 90 days, there were sco- there were mass shootings in both places. Yep. And I was talking to my homegirl, Sherry, that I grew up with, you know, across the street from my mom's house in Compton. And she was saying it was a ban on assault rifles. Oh, you know, we need to ban assault rifles. I'm like, well. It's not even a thing. I don't think you really need assault rifles. She's like, well, the majority of the shootings happen with assault rifles. And I explained to her, I was like, well, the shooting in New York was done with a Glock 17, a couple of those. Also, I think it was a handgun used in the subway shooting in New York as well. There were two in the state of New York recently. Yeah, yeah. That was, oh, yeah, the one, the racist shooting where the dude was at Buffalo and he knocked down all of those people. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough, man. Um, Side side question. Like, okay, of the two things in New York, was. And, I, and I'm asking, I'm not surmising. Was the was the guy who, the black dude, like, I, he might have been, I don't know if he was Afro-Caribbean or if he was just American, who shot up the subway. 
he had some sort of weird cause. Was he like some sort of like semi-racist black nationalist kind of guy, or was he just like a weirdo? Do you know? I don't. I don't know what is he. He had some kind of manifest of. He was talking about homeless people in America. Okay. Some stuff. I don't know. I didn't pay a lot of attention. It would have been interesting if the same state had dueling race-driven mass shootings in the no. same month. <laughs> oh, I could imagine a black person shooting white people because they mad. Oh, my God. That motherfucker would make it out of nothing. Uh, <laughs> the guy turned himself into the McDonald's. That'd be all bad. Um... I was telling Sherry that, and she what was weird is she was calling it a fake shooting. She's like, that's a fake mass shooting. I'm like, the one where the black dude was shooting the people on the train stage. I'm like, Sherry, motherfuckers actually got shot. I don't think it's actually cool to call that a fake shooting. What would be, why would it be fake? Like, the gun fired and people were hit. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what, what else you need. I was like, motherfuckers got shot. What are you talking about? Like, like, Did he use blanks and they got shot with paint? Shot and a motherfucker called it a fake mass shooting. I'd be oh, irritated through my fucking saw. I'd want to shoot your stupid ass. You'd call my shit fake. That's like calling um, the, the third plane that went down on 9-11 in the field. Oh, it was a fake plane crash or something. So you think the solution is armed guards at the school? Something like that. You have to go somewhere in that direction. I mean, all this other crap. Is, is is comedic to me. I mean, like to try to go after the the actor when you're when when you're that dedicated, when you're like I'm whatever it is that torments you to that degree, if you're I am ready to die for this here and now dedicated, it doesn't matter. You know, it really it doesn't matter. You can't stop that. Because what are you gonna threaten the person with? They've laughed off all the threats because they said the the greatest threat you can give somebody is I'm gonna kill you right now. If you if they've already totally blown that off then you have nothing hmm so you you can't take it at that perspective additionally like this oh we're gonna do mental health background checks how many people in this country have mental health problems that are not on paper i literally was talking to my boys about that and i noticed i seen um, a director um that i really fuck with too uh dion um What's Dion's last name? Cause uh, hold on, I'm gonna tell you what Dion's last name is. Like this dude, the shooter in Texas, for example, he had no crip. Hmm? Yeah, I'm sorry. His name is uh, Dion Taylor. Super dope brother, direct films, and he was saying that he was talking about like mental checks, and I'm like, dog. Uh, my boy Ju and Manny was from Long Beach. They was like mental checks. And I'm like, bro, they're going to discriminate. And guess who's not going to get a gun? Anytime you allow America to discriminate for sure, black people is for sure not going to be getting shit. Yeah, it's going to be black people and Republicans. Yeah, all, all right off the rip. That's all it's going to be. For sure, niggas not getting shit. So, I, and, I and how, like, how do you just define yeah. that anyway? Like, so what? So I have to then go. It, it, that Now you're opening the same conversation as to what my biggest beef with criminal justice is. And that's the subjectivity of individual judges and individual jurisdictions. Mm. I'm going to go to Dr. A and he's going to say, I'm crazy. And Joe Blow is going to go to Dr. B and he's going to say his funky weirdo ass is perfectly fine. And he's going to get a gun and I'm not. And I'm going to go, this is a miscarriage of the law. You can't, it, it, it's asinine. And on all, all I'm going to do is be like, then give me a goddamn burner, then fuck it. He's fictitious. The doctor doesn't exist. I, I can't threaten someone who didn't exist. I just think it's funny we live in a state or we live in a country, and it and it and it freaks me out with people from the community where we'll like we'll acknowledge racism and oppression and, and everything else, all the bigotry, and we still will create some kind of support for people that want to make decisions for us that historically have shown that they are not in our favor. Th that is my biggest point of intellectual conflict with black America. Sure. It's like my favorite thing about black, not my favorite thing, but like a, a thing that I respect a ton 
about like black America in general is the skepticism toward government and, and the critical thought that's like the knee jerk reaction is critical thought. I think that's fantastic. But those, those very same people will vote for expansive government oversight in the very same breath. And, and it's, there's like a, a conflict where those two things don't run parallel. I, it doesn't make sense to me. And, and, and this is a great example because again, you know, that's probably my biggest problem. And, and, and like, you'll see people pressing the line, like, Oh, this government is racism. They'll show you judges, you know, making fucked up verdicts for people of the same crime, you know, you know, obviously yeah. a bit of context, but you could just see in certain places where obviously this government is not necessarily in our favor. You know yeah, what I'm saying? And then they'll be mad at a person like Ted Cruz, who's like, you're not like, we're going to keep these guns. And it's like, it's almost weird. Like, like it, it blows me away where it's, it's, do you not think this government is an oppressive, racist regime? Do you not think, you know, these people are not, or are you just yeah, shrink the cancer? <laughs> shrink the cancer. Yeah, or, or, or are you just convinced that is that Democrats are friendly and then it's just like it's almost it's, it's so weird because yeah. I, don't I know. think you nailed it. But. I don't know, man. That shit fucks with me. And when I see this certain situation, you know, like like a school shooting, right, where motherfuckers is getting shot like kids and like we're arguing about gun control. And I'm like, you know, I said somebody said, who's to blame? And I'm like, the asshole that went and did it. Oh, you know, people got mental problems. And I'm like, yeah, but that's still an asshole that went and did that. Like you could have went and did that shit to the bullies that was bullying you, the people that called you poor. And that would have been fucked up. But at least to some degree, you know, motherfuckers would be like, well, that was your bully. You know what I mean? Let me ask a question. Over it, that's, that's what it is. How many Fruit Loops are there in Skid Row downtown? Like 50,000, 100,000. It's cra- like the number of down there is crazy. Maybe a couple hundred, yeah. It's a ton. Yeah. How many mass shootings are there down there? None. And I'm not saying it's because there's some sort of great infrastructure preventing it from happening, because there isn't. There's no. not. I'm just simply saying that the mental health thing isn't that great of a defining factor, whereas you can att- att- target mental health and think it's going to solve the problem because you're again I, I don't know what that really that's such a broad man Charlemagne again we talked about this last week or the week before man Charlemagne clashed so hard because I genuinely think like this becomes such a broad conversation that is really no conversation at all it becomes a conversation for society that you know a society that really can you know, like afford therapy. I, again, it's such a mainstream conversation to me that it really don't mean nothing where like we like, yeah, get, you know, get your mind together. Like people chose to have their minds fucked up or yeah. you know, uh, like not chose to have their minds fucked up. But it's again, like I said, it's like telling a rape victim to see therapists, but they getting raped again tonight. For sure. And, and like, so if you believe you know, oppression and racism is a lot of cause to the problems to poor people in this country. You know, what are we talking about? Like they could fix the problem themselves. Like, I, I just don't get that. And it's the same when we start talking about, you know, like I said, people brought that up to me where they say, hey, man, you know, like we need to deal with mental health when it comes to shooting, you know, these school shooters. And I'm like, sorry, I don't know if that's as simple as a mentally unhealthy problem. It's like, it's like saying a pedophile would be like mental health. I don't think some of these things are mentally unhealthy. Some of these people are just fucking fine. And in their mind, they're wired in a way to do something that, you know, society would not ever agree or understand. Like, I don't think some of this shit is, you know, a mistake. Like this ain't a slip up moment. Like it take a lot to murder you know, 19 elementary school kids. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like mentally in your mind, execute it. Like you just stop at the second one. 
Like, yeah, you're gonna stand in front. You're gonna stand in front of that. No, like the second kid you shot, you like damn these little kids. Like, I don't know if that's as simple as mentally unhealthy. I think some people are just wired incorrectly, and 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 like tough to catch them. A thousand percent. And and the mental health thing, like, like that whole shit is it's so vague and so broad and it's it it's not effective you know it's it's really not like there's people with defined mental health issues in my family people of means who've been getting the best of help for a long time you know how much positive impact i can point to in those processes zero you know and that's with you know private money with public money, it's always less per, per, per head, so it's going to be less. It's just, it's not the answer. Like you, you want to know, like like even in, this is a fair. It's a, this is a better parallel, I think, than a lot of people maybe might want to admit at face value. Kamikaze Air Force pilots for Imperial Japan in World War Two. They were really, really, really hard to stop. Right. And it almost swung the outcome of the Pacific Theater. They got they started it so late that they couldn't capitalize on the momentum that it provided. Because if somebody is that dedicated to an outcome that they are willing to die for it before you threaten death um, upon them, they are going to get it done. Period. You can see that with with, with jihadist um, bombers. Who are, who are like suicide bombers, you can't stop them. What are you going to threaten them with? You see it with kamikaze pilots. You see it with these people. If, if, you've take, if, if they have taken your greatest deterrent from you, you have no deterrent. You have to, at that point, have deterring force. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything. A moment that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these very moments. The last couple of years has been the hardest season of our marriage for sure. I'm surprised our marriage survived it. I think we both are. I think we both were barely holding on. Mm. Nothing compares to how hard this is. Their stories are full of candor, awe, and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. True behavior change is really identity change. Every action you take is a vote for the type of person you wish to become. Listen to A Slight Change of Plans on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
I, I literally was explaining to somebody about gangs is like when your life don't have value, when you don't think you're like, you know, viable to other human beings, family, your girl, like when you come from our communities, feel me, life doesn't have the same value. If you don't value your life, you won't value other people's life. You know what I mean? And then in our community, it's tough because you are measured in way by what you have. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. nobody got shit. Like, it could be a poor motherfucker that live next door to you and he got a pair of Jordans. He gonna talk shit because he live in Project Unit 1102 and you live in 1101, but he got some Jordans. And they're going to make you feel bad because you don't have these shoes in that community. So, um, still, to catch you up, I, I, the question I guess we want to ask is, um, all of these school shootings going on, do you actually have a viable solution that you believe? I don't think so. Um, and it's kind of ironic because that's what we talked about on CC yesterday. We had an episode about that. And no shame think, the on no sense. Oh, no. Well, we all in the same thing. So, <laughs> you know, it don't matter anyway. But, you gotta plug your shit. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> don't plug your shit. But in all seriousness, bro, I think that we have been programmed and conditioned as a people in all poor communities, especially in the black community, because we spend more money than any other group in the country. Black, you know, African-Americans spend way more money. We consume more content than anybody else. We look at all this stuff, right? And I think we've been conditioned to where our value, we, we place the value on ourselves based on what we have or what we don't have. Sure. And I think right now what we're looking at, man, uh, I, I just saw um, an Instagram reel this morning. There was a five-year-old boy talking to his teacher, and he was saying, I want to be a murderer when I grow up. I saw that. I saw that. That guy was awesome. And then in the very next clip, I saw a kid that was at a gun show, obviously, and he knew how to break down AK-47. When he was four years, five years old, gee, and he was breaking it down and this girl was telling oh that's so cute that's so amazing so you have two different spectrums right you have white america who's starting to get pissed off right now they're pissed off to the point to where they just doing the manliest things right then you have poor black america right to where we our frustration we may not go out and shoot everybody but it gives us low self-esteem and causes us to really devalue ourselves to where we don't hold, no longer hold no value in ourselves because we may not have what the person next door has. And I think we have, that's the biggest problem we have in the community is that everybody bases their circumstances off what somebody else is doing. You dig what I'm saying? That might be a cancer in humanity. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. And, and, and if you want to go deeper, bro, I think the biggest issue we have in this country right now is actually how me and you are part of how we make our living. You know, the internet. There's so much stuff, man. I, I think um, I was reading about um, predictive programming, right? Yeah. You know, predictive programming. The human brain is a computer. And if you hit us with stuff, so if you hit the human brain consistently with just different images of violence and everything, eventually becomes desensitized. You did what I'm saying? I don't know if we somebody asked me that do not do I think I'm desensitized about violence and I'm like what it's a very difficult you know accusation of sorts to make to you how like to avoid violence as a human being would almost be to not have a human experience like I think humanity has this really weird, you know, relationship with violence. Historically, though. Here it is, Jake. Not to cut you off, bro. It's not predictive programming. It's predictive coding. In that theory, it's in neuroscience. Predictive coding is a theory of brain function in which the brain is constantly generating and updating a mental model of the environment. So if you place us in an environment sheet to where we constantly show if you not shit if you don't have that pair of shorts, right? Yeah. That's why you get people doing dumb stuff like you have like the average 21 and 25-year-old, even some 30-year-olds. They know they have their rent coming up in a few weeks. Oh, man, if I pay this $500, I'm going to be short of my rent. 
But they would go buy those five hundred pair of shorts. That that five hundred dollar yeah, pair of shorts because, but, but that's, they have also, have. that's also rooted in. I, I argue. I debate this with women all the time. Where it's like a lot of the decisions they make is based off how people see them, and that's a human being issue, especially, especially with females or communities, right? Where mm-hmm. like. You know, if you've been poor for so long, you just don't women want live in a universe without budgets. Exactly. You ain't gonna give me in trouble here today. You uh, got steel. You come anywhere near me, I'm dragging you down with me. You ain't gonna get me in trouble. I'm dragging you all the way to the bottom of the pool with me. Right here, but you, you, you just start to, you start to see like you just want people to not treat you poor. You know what I mean? And you wear whatever outfit. You know, you take the simplest solutions to to obtain that effect. You know what I'm saying? Like, okay, if I wear this, this looks like I have some money. If I have this, this looks like I have some money versus the concept of having money. I always tell Jody Westside, this from the L.A. Giants, I'm like, you know, trying to look like is a verb. It requires energy and action. Feel me? Energy it requires action, which requires energy. So instead of trying to look like a good person, be a good person because being requires energy. So faking it till you making it requires energy that comes away from making it. If you direct all energy into the actual, you know, the goal itself is fine. You just won't get that instant gratification of fooling another person. So even like in a situation where the little weirdo dude that killed the elementary school in Texas because he had been bullied because he was poor or um, looked like he was having some kind of, uh, he was wearing a skirt. So I don't even know where there he might have been some identity issues there kind of, as well. Yeah. Pressure he dealt with. I don't know quite what's going on, but they were, he seemed like a troubled kid based off of his experiences. Um, whatever he felt like bothered him. Right. Instead of being like we have this thing in society where it's like, OK, well, you know, she's a slut. You don't have to shame her or mm. blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, if you don't want to be shamed for being a slut or if you don't want to shame for, you know, be shamed for not being poor. Right. That's when you have to dedicate all energies to not being outside of that. You know, you just plan yourself like my sisters, my older sister, Chantel, my older sister, Joanna. They had a big problem with me being a gangbanger. You know what I mean? And I always felt like they would tell their kids to kind of deal with me in a certain way because I was a crip. You know, I I am a crip. So, you know what I mean? I thought they maybe in their minds that defined me. But if I I never got an attitude with them feeling like that, whatever they thought of it was what it was versus me. And I never decided I was going to not be it because of what they thought. If, If they could crip shame me, Feel me? I have no business being a fucking crip. That just don't make no sense. If you could crip shame me, yeah, that means I have no business being a crip. If somebody could fat shame you, you have no business being fat. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, Kanye said the best in this song all falls down. We're all caught up in brands. We're all caught up. We all want to be accepted. You understand? I wanted to pick up Jasmine from school the other day and she had called me because of something that she forgot. I was yeah, actually doing her. No yeah. Nobody, this ain't Gangster Chronicle. Yeah, I was actually doing. <laughs> what is. Because don't nobody know your kids. Like, I'm sure the Gangster Chronicles audience know your children. No, I, I don't talk about them on there for interrupting me. For to kind of interrupt me if I can go on with my story, Mr. Okay, Malone. I'm making make sure they know what you're talking about. When you said Jasmine, I want you to. They'll be like, who the fuck is Jasmine? Jasmine yeah. is my own daughter. Now, yeah, so. Legal age now. If I ever mention a Jasmine, it's not the same person. Just FYI. (laughs) Yeah, so I went to pick her up from school. And so I get a text message from Maria 10 minutes later. Why would you go up to Jasmine's school just looking up some kind of way? And it's like, I had a t-shirt and some shorts on. She called me. I was right around the corner. I wasn't going to go home and put on this three-piece suit and come back to the school to to pick her up because she forgot her book. You wasn't fresh enough to pick her up. Yeah, but she was really like, she just looked like she was just like, because we are all conscious of what our friends think of us. We're taught that from a young age. We're taught when you go to school with some shoes on and you always got that one kid that seemed like he has every pair of shoes. He got the latest jeans. He got the latest T-shirt or whatever, right? 
You go to school and that same dude is cracking on you and bagging on you talking about your shoes or whatever. It makes you feel some kind of way. So she basically said to you, look, dad, if you're going to come through looking like that, I'll just drop out. Dude, I can't <laughs> I can't go to 7-Eleven without my wife and my daughter telling me, put something on you. I'm going to the store to get something. I'm not going out here to, to please nobody. I'm not going out there. That's because they're super duper insecure and self-conscious of what other people think. Um, and we're not like, yep. like even growing up, I wasn't trying to convince anybody of anything. Like I was what I was. And I think it's because I could be thankful of my upbringing with my mom and my pops and good boy. So um, I think that's a normal problem when you're dealing with the 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 traumas that poverty can bring. You know what I'm saying? And Dude, that's that's true as shit in my neighborhood, too. Huh? That That is so like it's so beyond obnoxious is where I grew up to. You, you wouldn't even believe it. Yeah, you wouldn't even believe it. Thing. I have I have white friends, obviously, Peter, you're one of them. But I have white friends <sighs> and I see it all the time. They'll move to Casa Dakota. Coda de Casa. Coda de Casa. Tomato, tomato. You know, they don't allow people like me up in there, but <laughs> they'll move somewhere where they really can't afford to be mm-hmm. just to keep up appearances. They will drive a car that they can't afford just to keep up appearances. And yep. the funny thing about it is the guy that can actually afford that stuff, he may have the house, but he drives around the F-150. Hey, my dad drives an F-150. Most rich people do drive F-150s, I noticed. They don't because most, they don't care. Most they rich t-shirts. You. Most rich people that I know are not trying to convince you they are rich. Exactly. And yeah, the name speaks for itself. You know, at one point, like I look at my financial situation, not that it's bad right now, but it could have been a lot better. Um, I keep a record of all, you know, my transaction stuff. And I just keep stuff. And I was going through it the other day because Maria was actually making me clean the closet. That's my wife, by the way. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no ceiling. That's his wife. So I'm in the closet looking at it. Right, no ceiling's plug. Do you know between 2004 and 2007, I made $1.2 million. Now, that wasn't all my money. That was what I grossed, you know, and I had to share. You know, no, not before taxes, before I had to share with certain people, like with Polar Bear. Oh, okay. Different okay people, yeah. You know what I mean? It's scared. But I looked at it and um, I received a deck from this new company. It was called um, Redbox. I received a deck because when you start putting so much money in the bank, you start getting hit up by different people, right? They send you different stuff, you know, for investment opportunities to invest in things. I saw that thing with Redbox and I said, who the hell is going to go rent movies from a thing outside? Man, ain't nobody. This is ridiculous. I threw it in the trash. Now, let's say, gee, I would have invested maybe 50000 in that for 100000 How much money would I have now? Depends but, on how long you held it. Yeah, you know what? Now you won't have you had that same fifty thousand. <laughs> you have thirty thousand. We'd have to unload that motherfucker about three months, three years, four years ago. Well, you know, Redbox was cracking for a minute, but I'm just saying, yeah, yeah. you know, doing all that, I, I could have, you know, made a substantial amount of money on my investment. Right? I also had an opportunity to buy a laundry mat, and I remember going to go meet the guy, and I, I was meeting with him because he was actually a guy I knew. He knew me and my wife from when we were staying in this apartment, right? Yeah. And we used to go to that laundromat. And he saw me one day at a store outside of London. He said, hey, man, long time no see. And he said, it looks like you're doing well in yourself. I said, what you up to? He said, I'm going to sell the shop. Are you interested? You know, I said, how much you want for it? He told me the cost of it would have been $60,000. He said, you know, after you pay for everything, you're going to make about four grand a month. And at that time, my mind, I was such a, in such like a four grand a month. Yeah, I was in such a heaving mind state that I didn't think about business. You know, I didn't think. Well, after all the cost, if I'm bringing in four thousand, after I pay for everything, year and a half, that, you make, year and a half, two yeah, years, you probably make your money back. But the thing is, sixty. That's yeah. That's eighty percent. That's that's a eighty percent ROI. That's pretty fucking strong. Yeah. So. You know, me thinking about at the time I was making so much money, man, $4,000, I'm not wasting my time. And that could have been something that would have really set us up for our retirement. 
It was something I could have passed down to our children because I would have been had paid for right now. They're still very busy, still a very busy business. So I think about those opportunities I missed because you know what I did invest heavily in? In at Cadillac Escalades, Mercedes Benzes, um, you know, a, a whole number of vehicles, which I don't presently have. Jewelry I can't find. I remember Maria threw away. Up the- can't find? No, you know, but you know what I mean? This is an expression. Like glasses we're doing a podcast we're going to do a treasure hunt in steel's backyard it'll be like the ghost hunter project but we're going to do a treasure hunter podcast oh, in his no. backyard I, I didn't actually lose those cars i just got rid of them Fuck. eventually right they weren't, but you know the thing is gee actually i did have a car that i let somebody borrow they had that car for two years and i, I was <laughs> But they had it for two years because I just didn't care. Man, I don't want that shit. It was an expedition, an old expedition I had, right? Man, take that shit. I don't care about it. Because when you're young and you're not thinking, it's like, you know how they say, youth is wasted on You know, youth is wasted on the young. The whole thing is when you're young and you're making money is (laughs) I get another check next month. I remember one time I went and blew $40,000, dude. I went and bought some rims. I went and bought me this dumbass big steel chain. It was just all kind of stuff. Now, it just wasn't worth it. And But what I'm saying, all I have to say is this. We are so not conditioned, bro, to do the right things. And we worry we worry about bullshit pretty much. That, that's it. It's tough. Again, like I said, if you believe in oppression and racism, then it makes sense. And that's what I tell most uh, the black elite and, and responsible, the black elite like yourself or, you know, Jay-Z or Snoop or Nip or anybody. Oh, I'm not, don't put me in the category of them. They got way more money than me. Well, you are a part of the black elite, right? You're still part of that 1%, right? And I don't feel like it, shit. 10%, 10%. I would say 10% right now. 1%. <laughs> I'm just playing with you, bro. Well, you know what, though? What I'm going to tell you what's what oppression, though, Gene. What I'm saying is you can't believe in oppression and not understand how it's going to affect people and why they make these decisions. I and have to submit a thought. Think, unless you're ready to convince yourself and say racism and oppression doesn't exist anymore, then you have to also account for the fallout that's going to be happening. It's like being mad at the people in Nagasaki in 1968. Like, oh, your kid's still growing extra toes. It's like, Nick, it was a bomb. It was a nuclear bomb dropped, you know, in this place. And then there's a fallout, right? And it, and it's yeah, it's not exactly the same situations as 1945, 46, 47, right? But then there's still a radiation and a nuclear fallout that's happening in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s after. So if you believe that type of nuclear bomb that you know slavery and oppression and racism is, right? All these things that fuck your mind up. But you got to make room for the fallout for the extra toes and the extra fingers and the weird legs and the triple breasts. You got to you got to you got to, you know, really account for that. And that's just an important part. But even with the conversation we have now, where it's like we live in this weird society again, where poor people are punching bags, you know, in America. Mm-hmm. And you want to hear something real people, interesting? And poor people punch on poor people. Yeah. You want to hear something? Yeah. That, and that's a mentality, G, because you want to hear something real interesting? When I was making that money, my wife told me we should save it. And I thought she, I actually got mad at her when they say for what? Do this the way. I these checks forever. What you talking about, Maria? When, when I purchased, forever. when I wanted to go first purchase a home, like steel. When I first went to go purchase a home 18 years ago, right? Yeah. I wanted to buy this eight-bedroom house that was in Temecula. It was nice. It was nice. You know, pool in the backyard. Um, How many just, kids were you planning on having? Just, you know what? That was the thing. I just wanted it because it looked nice. You know, all I could picture was me just showing up to people. Like, this is, yeah. my, this is my lair. This is my spot. You know what my wife told me? She said, first of all, it's too far. And can we get something a little bit more conservative in case... Like, you know, I just want, in case what you're doing right now stops working, I want to still be able to maintain the home that we had. So we wound up buying a townhouse and I was mad at her for the longest. Like, oh, we could have had something bigger. You know, eventually what happened, a lot of those friends, and that was the time they were giving everybody home loans. Everybody, if you had a post, you were going to get a loan for a million dollars to go buy a house, right? At that Bush era? 
Yeah. So oh. all of my friends, nothing embarrassed nobody. All of my friends <laughs> eventually wound up losing their homes. I was the only one that had mine. So I looked at my wife. And so from that point on, I always listened to my wife in regards to finances because where she comes from, she, my wife is from Mexico. So they're used to really being poor. They're used to eating beans and tortillas every night. So she comes from a certain day. She values money. Man, what the hell? You're just such a nationalist. That don't mean she's from the she, I don't mean she from the poor people. Oh no, well, I'm sure he knows his in-laws. I know my I know my in-laws. She come on, I'm not you talking about what, what 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 background they come from. No, I said from the background that she comes from, she comes from a poor family. Okay. She comes from a poor family. I'm talking about my wife. I'm not talking about nobody else. I don't know what nobody else's background is. I'm talking about my spouse. But she comes from a background to where they respect money. They have a really high respect for money. My wife, we were in Hawaii, and she had $6,000 in her purse spending money. When I tell you that it was like pulling a manhole cover to have her buy something, hey, they got these pineapple drinks. Let's buy one. Oh, those are $20. We don't need to get that. We can go to the store and buy this and do this. I said, by the time we do all that, we could have been, you know, we could have just drunk the thing and been done with it. But I think it's how we raised, G. So, but but it goes into that same fallout of that 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 oppression atomic bomb. I mean, that's how we see things here. And and, and back to the, you know, back to what me and people's talking about. Like, what do you do when a kid takes being poor that way and tort, you know, and I'm not going to keep calling them a kid because I don't believe 18 year old people are kids. Like, I think modern society makes people kids and shit, but you ain't no fucking kid. The older you get, bro, the more your mind will change with that. I think I think they show I think children today show us they are more than intellectually capable of having a lot more responsibilities in the real world. And we allow them to squander it off. Feel me on video games and social media shit and bullshit. You know what I'm saying? So again, social conditioning. Yeah, but but I'm saying so. I, but I think that's also the same social conditioning that allows you as a parent to treat your 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 17 to 18 and 19 year old like their children, and they're not. We just we just keeping them children longer for whatever silly reason society's telling us to versus making them motherfuckers get jobs and have some responsibilities and things to do and. and not so much time on their hand to sit on the phone and find people to compare themselves to. There's a whole massive intellectual movement defining the like quote unquote like impact of society by the socialized prolonged adolescence, you know, theory, so to speak. Oh, that's a real that, yeah. We gotta get there's a lot there's a lot of think tanks that are all what's hmm? a kid. You know what I mean? Conversations about a kid because yeah. I think children are, sh I think what we call children are showing you when they finally start being like, they think they can make their own decision. You need a fucking job. Yeah. It's a sliding scale. It's like what I would expect a 19 year old to have a really sound and astute understanding of the ramifications of spending money versus investing money in passive income. No. What I expect a 19 year old to understand the difference between playing a video game and shooting real human beings at the store. Yes. I think that's reasonable. But I, after but I 19 years think, of I life, I think that's not even, I think that's so rare in the grand scale of people doing of these. All these things are rare. Or mass shootings. I, I, yeah. That confusion. I think it's not impossible. There are some really retarded motherfucking people. That's, 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 that's a, that's, that's that thing. It's like, it's like women who get abortion because <laughs> they got raped. You know it's yeah. Not, that's not the grand scale of the conversation, so I'm not against mm -hmm. it. Um, but what I am saying is, you know, um, because this person, his family said the excuse was, you know, I'm poor and I, people tormented me and this, that, and the third. Is that really, is that like, what do, like, what would a psychologist tell a poor person? Now, if we're going to relate that to mental health, like, right, people teasing him because he was poor or, Blah, blah, blah. If that's really a mental health issue, you know what I'm saying? It's as simple as that. What what would a psychologist tell a poor person how to deal with being poor? Well, first well, of all, for being poor is just a construct in itself because you don't know you're poor until you see some nicer shit. Like, I didn't know I was poor. Not, I, that's my, that, but I feel like that. Like I said, I was talking about, I was talking to women about that before where I was explaining to them, 
Like some girl told me she got, you know, a boob job because she felt like her titties was, you know, lopsided or one was bigger than the other. And I'm like, well, who titties was you comparing them to? Like, that's the problem to me. They're not being honest. Like everything mm -hmm. is rooted in comparison. And what the hardest thing for human beings to do is get out of the habit of comparing. I'm not saying don't acknowledge human beings. Right. I acknowledge them, but I don't compare them like, you know what I mean, it's like as much as we're all that's basic all social Darwinism. I huh? mean, like the that's basic social Darwinism. The principle behind evolution is comparing. That's a very tall order. You know, I mean, and I don't mean just in fucking humans. I mean, in any species that evolves, which is all of them, comparing well, you know, is what it is. But you know what it is. And first, I want to say this: she left. See, it's hard. See, when you don't have children, you're free of that bond. That um, that bond that I hate. I, I don't hate it. Don't get me wrong. But I wish I couldn't give a fuck sometimes. I wish I could just be like you on your own. But it's gonna bother you. You go think about it. It's like sometimes I think like when my kids they do something right, and I want to sit back and just sometimes I've, I've learned as a parent as I got older to let them go through it because when you come to somebody's rescue all the time, you're really not doing them no favors. Well, th but this is the thing. I'm not saying uh, a parent like those parents are that weird old dude that shot the elementary kids. I'm not saying the decision is to abandon them, but I'm telling you, if you're old enough to realize you're poor. You're old enough to get a fucking job. Yeah, for real. For real. Then you realize mm -hmm. you're poor. If you realize that, you old enough to sell newspapers. You old enough to do a thousand things. Now I'm not saying I'm yeah, going to be upset. Mm -hmm. huh? You know all my children, right? Everyone. Me coming from all your kids, all your kids could have jobs at 13. Oh, listen. I'm just jump right off real fast. I made all my kids hustle. Marie, I hear you. I'm coming in one second. The thing is, what my kids do, Jasmine does nails. My daughter does nails. Christopher cleans shoes. That was his thing. I told them all, I preached entrepreneurism to my kids, right? I said, find something that you like doing, that you're good at, and make money like that. I never preached necessarily the job thing. But I told them, get a job. Get a, you know, but listen to what I'm saying. Get a job until you can do what you want. Stefan? He's been with the fire department. He's been yeah, doing his thing like that. And all your kids have their own successes and success stories. We ain't got to go through them individually. I'm just saying, I think even in these conversations where we're talking about, you know, the type of mind and social, the type of mind and how society breeds mass shooters, I think it's because there's some space, right, where somebody was allowed to just complain. Exactly. Now, whether they complain out loud, I don't always think the solution is complaining to a therapist. I think, no, not all I think the time. yeah, I think there's a space where it's like, you know, like when you come from our community and you realize you poor, you know what you do still? You get a sack. Exactly. You go get some money. That's, that's what whatever is the closest and most convenient way to not to not not have money you find a way to make sure you have money. So again, that, that's the point I'm making. It, it, it's like um, just just trying to figure out where we're going with all of these mass shootings and, and the rough comparisons and 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 the value in it. You know what I'm saying? It's crazy how we looped it all around into you know these conversations of economics because we do end up here somehow. It always end up here. You know what I mean? If it's a white man shooting black people, maybe he feel like niggas stole their jobs. Like it's always kind of the same space of where you sit at, you know, to some degree. I mean, every now and then you got the Vegas dude who just it was just Saturday. I don't think some motherfuckers is crazy. For some people, there's no rhyme or reason. Some people are just loony. And that's what I was telling yeah. people like to believe as a society, I think it's right to really say, like, okay, I want to do something. But to believe there's always something you can do, you know, might be unrealistic yeah and that's a great point that defines the entire narrative i mean really people are so uncomfortable with the idea that they might not be able to have control over an outcome that could be adverse to them that they spaz out just at the thought of it 
Been looking out for tuning in to the No Sellers Podcast. Please do us a favor and subscribe, rate, comment, and share. This episode was recorded right here on the West Coast of the USA and produced by my homeboy, A-King, for the Black Effect Podcast Network and iHeartRadio. Yeah. Hey there. I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the highly anticipated 100th episode of Tank and Jay Valentine's R&B Money Podcast with artist Chris Brown. Even working with you from Carrie Hilson, Adonis. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, I was 15, 14 doing that album. So like I said, I was in school like, yeah. okay, this is how you do it. This is how you make a song. There's a verse, a pre-course, and then mm-hmm. a hook. I didn't know none of that. You learned I, that over a summer, bro. That's what I, it felt like. That's what it felt like. Listen to R&B Money on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.